So there's a misconception that if you're single, you are incomplete, perhaps damaged, salvaged, and you won't be happy until you find your one. And that is not true. That is bullshit. It is a message that has been fed to us by media and advertising. The truth is, when you're single, you have the richest soil for growth. That's why I created this podcast. And unlike other podcasts, this one is host-driven, not guest-driven. That means I will be rotating health and wellness experts three times a week to give you the giant box of wellness crayons, not just the primary colors, so you can start building a meaningful life. It's time to give singlehood a cape. So today's host, Lindsay Burke, she and I go way back, back when I was working in addiction, residential, Malibu, driving my little motorcycle on PCH to help people with addiction, and she was on my team. I'm so happy that she is a part of this rotating host and experts for this podcast. Lindsay Burke is the founder of Lift Therapy, and she's a licensed therapist, behavior interventionist, coach, martial artist, yes, martial artist, a wife, a parent, and expert consultant on attachment, narcissism, and toxic relationships, as well as early childhood development. Yes, she does everything. And she believes that human connection is the best medicine and is committed to helping people heal by helping them develop healthy attachments with others. Her mission is to enhance the field of mental health by making support and resources more accessible to you in the form of psychoeducation, supportive programming, and individual therapy. Lindsay has served as a host for the Disney Plus show Reconnect and as an advisor and expert writer for various newspapers, podcasts, and radio shows such as the Chicago Tribune, Relation Up, P-Therapy, Life and Style Magazine, Pop Sugar, and on and on and on. She is very talented. She's a powerful catalyst, and I hope you enjoy. Well, I know you're going to enjoy and get so much out of her episode today. I am Lindsay Berg. Hi, Mari. <laughs> I've got Mari on here again with me today. She is the founder of the Girls Empowerment Experience, a movement, mindfulness, mindset, and mental health program that empowers girls and women to move through life with more confidence, courage, connectivity, and creativity. And she's also a martial artist, as am I, and a CrossFitter, and just the most incredible, incredible partner and mom. Uh, and last week, we got to dive in headfirst into Mari's own self-love journey, her story about growing up in a home with parents who loved her deeply, but were really struggling with their own lives and their own mental illness um, and just life struggles in general and how that led her down this path of perfectionism, some substance abuse and eating disorder and her own codependency that she's been really working towards healing in, in the last decade or so. Um, and at the end of our last episode, Mari shared how her life came to a head around the time of your parents' divorce, uh, a breakup with a serious boyfriend, a major job offer that kind of launched you into realizing you needed to do something different. And so, Mari, I'm so glad to have you back on today. Thank you for being here uh, to share your story. And you left us with quite the cliffhanger last last week. I was like, oh, no, I'm dying to know what happened. So um, I think maybe we could just dive right back in if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much yeah. for having me back. And 
I'm so thankful that to have the space to share, like I said, uh, I told you before, I'm so grateful to have so much time to really dive in deeply into this story and have a part two to continue because this was such a turning point for me. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of times people ask me, well, how, what made you change or how did you change or um, what was the thing that really finally got you to change, right? And so it's it's not just one thing. <laughs> it's Yes, it's I'm so glad that had that. to happen. And a lot mm-hmm. of- It's a little breaking point. Yes. And, you know, a, a, another rock bottom in some, you know, change can happen from so many different places. Change, change can happen from a positive influence. It can happen from a very negative experience. It can happen because- you have no other choice but to change. It can happen because you want something else and you're motivated for that thing, right? So change, you know, I think there's this misconception like, well, if I just wanted it badly enough, I would change. Right. If right. I just white knuckled it, discipline. Enough, I would change. The discipline right? thing. I hear this a lot in, you know, fitness and wellness and um, yes. weight loss and health. And well, if I just wanted it Constantly. bad enough, right. But that's just not the case. Or you need one big breaking point. There's one point that was the, yeah. What's and the quick fix? We don't work that like, way. Give me the yeah. magic pill. Give me the, <laughs> right. And by the way, I wanted yeah. that too, at this moment in my life, if somebody had, had just handed me a magic pill and said, here, take this. Um, and you'll have everything that you want. Oh, I would have taken it in a heartbeat because as you heard in my last um, episode, I was all about immediate gratification. I didn't know how to sit with discomfort. I didn't know how to have delayed gratification. I didn't know how um, to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And that change and confidence actually really happens through getting out of your comfort zone, right? And that nothing changes if nothing changes. You you have to do something different or at least be willing to do something different if you want to experience different, right? It's just the law. If we keep doing the same thing, we're going to keep getting the same results. In kind of survival mode, I could hear you were so yes. much in survival mode, which is very much focused on the immediate, not even seeking pleasure, but relief from pain and suffering. When you're in that mode, you're just constantly looking for pain and suffering. And the one thing that, that allows us to be motivated to hold on to that, that, uh, to delay that gratification is something closer to our identity and our purpose and a bigger goal that we have to see something that's ahead of that immediate relief or ahead of that pleasure that gives us something more important to focus on. Exactly. Yes. That takes an, that takes an immense amount of maturity Mm -hmm. that young children don't always have, you know, in my work now really try to, I feel like that is one of the roles that I do have is offering that perspective to young girls and women who can't really see it yet because they haven't experienced. And, and it's not that they haven't experienced hard things, but it's just, there's a difference when you've lived longer, you've been through more hard things that you know, you're going to survive. You know, you're going to get out of it. You know that you're going to get better because of it. Right. But when you're experiencing your first heartbreak or your first challenge and not, you know, not getting into the school that you wanted to get into, or your first bout with perfectionism or whatever your first 
hard thing is, you don't know that you're going to get through it because you haven't proven that to yourself yet. Yet. Yeah. Right. So um, I guess coming back to this moment in my life, um, I had, as I said, I had been in this relationship on and off since I was 14, which was a huge part of my identity, right? That was, I had just gotten out of the hospital from my first rock bottom eating disorder. And I was grappling all of the dysfunction in my family and the challenges that I was facing in my family. And I was so badly seeking to belong in school and and at home. Um, and so this relationship started amidst all of that, right? So it really became sort of enmeshed in who I was um, because I didn't know who I was. me totally. And remind me, how old were you when this was happening? It put me back into that place where this new relationship oh, began. Oh, so that was when I was 14. I was 14. 14. Yeah. And I had, I had gotten out of, you know, treatment um, right at that time. I was, you know, just almost 14 when I got out of treatment or maybe I was, yeah, I was 14 when I got out of treatment. And, um, and I had gone to this new school and transferred schools because I didn't want to be at my old school because everybody knew where, you know, what had happened. I wanted to start fresh. Um, and I was so badly, like I said, seeking belonging. And this was, you know, it, it all sort of, I grew and developed through this relationship, right? Because obviously when we're 14, our identity is still forming. Um, in any case in college, um, this boyfriend had an opportunity to go out of state and play football. Um, and I was so afraid of abandonment. And I was so codependent in relationship because of what I experienced with my parents growing up. Um, although it probably would have been best for us to have separation and have that space, I clung tightly and could not, would not let go. Um, and there were so many times throughout college that he requested space or he gave me information that he was needing that space and that individuation that, you know, we had been together for such a long, long time, you know, a fraction of your teenage life. Um, so months are a long time. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I just could not let go. I could not give that space. I didn't know how to give space. I was so afraid of giving space because I thought it meant I'd be forgotten. I wouldn't be loved. I would be alone. What would that mean? Who would I be without this relationship? I mean, I, you know, I had really abandoned all friendships. I had abandoned myself. As you heard, I was still deeply struggling with eating disorders and drug addiction and alcohol abuse in college. So there were these times of separation in college where we would go on these, you know, quote, breaks. And then I would just seek male attention any which way that I could get it because I so badly thought I had to have a relationship in order to be whole. I I had to be, you know, with somebody and have that that part of my identity fulfilled um, or else I wasn't good enough. And I, I didn't know how to be comfortable in that. I didn't know how to be alone yet. That was so uncomfortable for me. Um, so we, we got, got so many together. people relate to that. I bet oh, so many people relate yeah. to that. And this is, yeah. I mean, this is as a young, young woman, 
from yes. this is college, right? So 18 to 22. And Already, so much of my college just, experience was distracted by that, just constantly yes. pursuing that attention and having these, you know, hookups because it, it again, was that immediate gratification, just like the hit of the drug or the hit of the food or the exercise was, it was like, okay, I'm good enough again, right? Except then that wears off like drugs and alcohol do. Right. And the next morning you wake up and you're walking home in your toga <laughs> through this campus and you're like, this is not a good look. This is not who I want to be, right? I don't feel so yeah. great about myself. Um, yeah. And so there were a lot of those moments throughout the four years. And I'd go you know, back East to see him. And again, just constantly pursuing, constantly pushing for this relationship to quote work, even though yeah. I was holding on to something that didn't exist anymore. You know, that was some a dream that I had when I was 14 and something that we had when we were 14 and 15, but we weren't those people anymore. Um, and I think and this in, is a long-term relationship for, I mean, it really was a long-term relationship. Person. It was. And I think, um, yes. it's really hard, you know, like I said, when your identity is enmeshed in that, because you're so afraid yeah. of what your life is going to be like without that, because you don't know anything different. No. Um, and for me yes. also, you know, I also was so attached to his family because were you, I saw his family as the family that I always wanted. Right. Like I grew up mm. always seeing very nuclear, healthy, um, connected, joyful, happy families. Um, and they had just welcomed me with so much love and support and, encouragement and always seeing me for who I really was. And, um, and so I was home there, you know, I often oh. lived there for, for weeks at a time. I wouldn't even go home to my own house. Um, wow. so there was that element too, that I was so afraid oh. of, felt of that. Right. It was like my city. And of course, of course, that right. makes so much sense. Right. That makes so much sense. Well, and even I was going to say, when you say you were clinging to something, you know, I, I often talk with clients about this idea of, you know, one of the, the the healing aspects that we need from, for example, abandonment trauma mm -hmm. is, I, I don't like using the term because, but it's for a lack of better terms, is enmeshment. Mm -hmm. It's actually, you know, going back and, and tending to and taking care of yes. that little girl version of you, that, that younger version of you that needed that. Once it's healed, then you can move forward. But people right. jump into adulthood and they're like, oh, but this part of me didn't get satiated. This part right. of me didn't get helped. Well, the way maturity works and the way our neurology works, it doesn't just say, oh, well, but you, now you're 37. <laughs> so you need to act like a 37 year old and you need to be developed like a 37 year old. It says, oh, but you know, all this other neurology hasn't been built. All this mm -hmm. muscle hasn't been built. You can't just jump right to Schwarzenegger. You got to like yeah. work your way up to Schwarzenegger. And so that's our neurology works the same way. So, I mean, I could hear in pieces of your story that in these ways, unconsciously, you're deeply trying to get these important needs met. And in ways um, that couldn't sustain because, you know, for the various reasons, because of the sources and whatnot, you can't, you, you're, you weren't going to be adopted by your boyfriend's parents. Um, but this idea of finding these people in your life to be able to, to support those areas of your needs. Yeah. And, and when you were saying clinging, tell me a little bit about some of the behaviors 
that you were engaging in that were coming from this place of holding on to this well, thing? Well, I think it was trying to preserve so much. Yeah, I think I would be in so much discomfort and anxiety, very much an anxious attachment of, um, you know, texting constantly or reaching out constantly. Or if, like I said, if he requested space, I wasn't able to give that. I would still be in communication. I would still act as if we were together. I would still have certain expectations um, of him, you know, and what I needed from him that he was clearly telling me he wasn't able to give. Um, And so I, I know that that was my role in the downfall of this relationship was not honoring, you know, where the other person was in, in this place. And this will come back around later uh, in my next relationship as well. Although I would work through this. It always does. It always does. Um, of course it does. <laughs> so in any case, um, you, in the last episode, heard about sort of this, this big explosive moment where my parents have this huge breakup and the divorce that follows. I moved back home with my mom after college um, as I'm offered this job about three minutes from the house that I grew up in. And so, you know, I listen to my intuition and I say, okay, I'm going to take this job. I'm going to move back in with my mom for a year. I'll figure out where I'm going to go to graduate school because <laughs> that still is my idea of success. And um, we, my boyfriend at the time and I were, you know, on a quote, break um, that he had requested. And I had just said, you know, um, well, if you're going to be with other people, just tell me, okay, just tell me before you do that. Because of course, anxious attachment, I was just so afraid of being replaced. I was so afraid of not being good enough and not being loved. And at the time, I was still so deeply struggling with drugs, alcohol, my eating disorders. Um, I was very overweight. I was so not in love with my body and attaching all of my worth to my body image, as many of us in eating disorder recovery do. Um, And so I felt so low and so far away from myself. And of course, one night I'm like scrolling Instagram, stalking, him, you know, and like going through all, you know, how we do as women or young women. We like Sherlock oh, yeah. Holmes. Oh, she liked it or she commented, right? Oh, so somehow. Yeah. All somehow, FBI agents should be women. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> we would somehow, find them all. Somehow, <laughs> we find this picture of him and this oh. girl who's super beautiful, super fit. Um, they're on a beach mm. together. And I just, I spin out completely spin out, lose my mind. Um, The anxiety that I felt in that moment was almost too much to bear. He comes home a few weeks later, I think. And um, we get back together, I think we, or we're acting like we're together. And then I'm at his house one day, I open his phone and it's a text message from her and everything, you know, blows up basically from there. I have no way of coping with it. I am completely beside myself. Um, I fall, I had already mm-hmm. since seeing that picture, you know, in the weeks prior before he came home, I had already spiraled into another bout of overexercising, you know, restricting food. I had lost 10 to 20 pounds. I was like super oh, fit gosh. looking because I was attaching all of my worth to that, right? If I could just be pretty enough, if I'm yeah. just skinny enough, then he'll love me. Um, and 
you know, we, we really struggled through this. I really struggled again. I was clinging to him. I wanted to be with him even more than ever, believe it or not. Um, sometimes I think, you know, when we like find out about these kinds of things, maybe some women want to push away and they don't want to have anything to do with the person. I was the opposite. I was so afraid sure. of being abandoned that I just couldn't bear to have any time away from him. So I clung even more. Um, sure. Of course, this ba all backfired, right? Because this codependent push and pull cannot last. Um, I was holding on again mm -hmm. to something that just didn't exist anymore. And that I was trying to fulfill something outside of myself. That was something that needed to come from inside of myself. So um Maybe, I don't know, like six months to a year into this experience, um, we finally have this kind of like last talk and he can't or, or didn't, I should say, um, didn't ever say like, this is the end. You know, I don't think either of us in this push pull dynamic could really end things. So again, the verbiage that was used was, okay, well, let's take this break. You know, we need to take this time and I don't know what's going to happen. Let's see what happens. It was very open-ended. I was so confused. Like, what does that mean? Should I call you? Shouldn't I call you? You know, do I hold on to hope? Do I not hold on to hope? And, and there were just no answers. Yeah. I, I think we both were so afraid of what our lives were going to be like without each other, even though we both knew that it was the end, neither of us could say that. I certainly was not going to be the one to say that because I was so afraid of being without him. Um, and in the weeks that followed, you know, I would experience panic and anxiety attacks. I would literally sit on my hands um, and just go 10 minutes at a time. I would just say to myself, okay, I'm just not going to text him for 10 minutes. And I would set a timer on my phone and 10 minutes would go wow. by and I would say, okay, yeah. can I go another 10 minutes? Okay, I can go another 10 minutes. And I would set another timer on my phone and I would sit on my hands and another 10 minutes would go by. And I would do this sometimes for an hour until I finally would forget and I'd be okay. So I would go 10 minutes at a time, not acting yes. on my impulses. Um, and, you know, at this time, I was, again, teaching karate every day. I was working with these kids who were saving my life. I mean, the fact that I had them yeah. to show up for was everything for me during this time because I was so yes. uh, empty and I didn't know who I was anymore. And I knew that I wanted to feel something different, but I didn't know how. Mm -hmm. um, I had finally reached out to a therapist that it was sort of divine. I literally just Googled therapists in where I lived in Redonda beach. Um, and she was the first person that came up. She had a story very similar to mine. Um, I scheduled a consultation with her and the moment that I met her, I knew that I was supposed to be there. Um, she also felt the same way. I knew at this point that I wasn't going to see anybody as a therapist who hadn't had eating disorders alcohol and drug addiction and codependency. I wasn't going to listen to anybody else. I didn't want to listen to anybody else. If you hadn't been through it, why should I listen to you? What gives you the, I don't care how many textbooks you've read. I'm not going to totally. another 30 something year old middle-aged man to talk to me about my eating disorder. I'm just totally. not, not going to work. Um, and she yeah. had been through it all. And that so I finally insight. felt yeah. seen and heard and connection. And I was finally willing to believe that it could work.
that was a huge part, right? Like we have to be willing to believe that something can work for us. Uh, At the same time, everybody was saying to me, no one will love you until you love yourself. You just have to love yourself, Martin. Have you ever heard that, Lindsay? No one will love you until you love. And I was like, great. Tell me how to do it. (laughs) Yes. You know, with my parents' divorce, with this breakup, with graduating college and being completely lost in my next steps, although I wasn't because I was, you know, I was at this karate studio five days a week, opening and closing the doors, sweeping the floors, you know, running classes five hours a day, having meetings with parents till seven o'clock at night. I was very fulfilled in my work. Um, But the one thing that I wanted more than anything was love. I still felt that I needed a relationship in order to be happy. And that was what I was searching for. I was searching for my knight in shining armor to come and save me. Um, I didn't know that the knight in shining armor was me. And that is kind of the next thing that happened. And because I wanted love so badly, Mm. and because I was willing to do anything to get it out of, like you said, survival, I was willing to go into a self-love journey. So my self-love journey doesn't start the way that it is, quote, supposed to, where it's like for you and I'm going to do this for myself because I'm going to love myself. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was because I thought if I love myself, then I'll have a relationship. And that's what I wanted. So I wanted the relationship <laughs> more than I wanted anything. And and I think part of me still so wanted fine, it. I'll do this other thing. I'll, I'll jump over this other hurdle. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Part of me still wanted it with my ex-boyfriend until day by day, 10 minutes at a time, um, I started to realize, oh, it actually might not be him. And I started to become okay with that. Um, Huge. That's a big one. Yes. I can remember the moments when we have to, yeah, those moments when you realize, I don't want that anymore. Mm. (laughs) Actually, yeah. Yeah. But it had to take doing something radically different. And that is what, you know, I think I had been reading books. I had been kind of diving into the law of attraction. Um, My therapist at the time was very, um, she incorporated a lot of AA philosophies. So seeking a higher power, putting your trust in a higher power, trusting the process, um, Mm -hmm. being humble, you know, admitting looking at yourself really honestly, right? And so I was kind of soaking up everything that she was giving me and like a sponge. And because I was willing, again, to do anything different at this point, you know, I had gotten to a place where I was so uncomfortable and in so much pain and realizing if I keep doing the same things, I'm going to keep having the same relationships. I'm going to keep having the same relationship with my body image. I'm going to have the same mental health. I'm not going to be happy. Um, I knew that I didn't want to subscribe to this old story anymore. And that maybe it was kind of like, okay, I'm uncomfortable already, right? If I try something different, I'm also going to be uncomfortable. But which uncomfortable do I want to choose? The uncomfortable where I stay the same (laughs) or the uncomfortable where things might get better? Like might, right? But I was willing to go for the might because 
I knew for certain what would happen if I this ain't working. Yes. Yeah. This ain't working. So, so I got to do something. I got to take yeah. a risk here. I'm willing to take a risk. Yeah. I'm willing to see what wow. happens. And I can always go back to doing it the way that I did it before. Right. Like that's not going anywhere. Yeah. So what were one of those big risks for you? What were, what were some of the, do you have a few Yeah, I think of that, those that moments where you remember doing something different? Yep. I that, think that 10 minute at a time when I started with that 10 minutes at a time of mm, um, first I'm not, it was gonna text. not texting, not reaching out. Then it was not pouring a glass of wine, um, mm. 10 minutes at a time with that. Then it was, um, well, you know, I, w I was at the same time, like I said, I was reading and I was learning and I was mm. also, um, okay, so <laughs> this is where my Pisces brain comes in and I have got like all these little pieces, <laughs> right? At the yeah. same time, around the same time in these like this year or so I am getting back into MMA, right? I'm boxing every day. Oh. Um, so I'm changing my relationship a little bit with fitness because I wanted to feel like I was in integrity teach. Cause I was teaching so much, right? I'm teaching five mm. days a week and the karate oh, wow. school had started, as you know, to incorporate jujitsu and MMA, mm -hmm. which was something entirely new for me. I had never done okay. any, any oh, wow. work, any jujitsu, any of that. So I okay. wanted to feel like I knew what I was talking about when I was teaching. So I get sure. into training. I am training every morning with a really rad community of people who um, I had developed this friendship with uh, an older girl who was my part boxing partner every day. She was an incredible oh, cool. mentor to me and role model to me. I always gravitated towards older friends. She was only like five years older than me, but I had, I had yeah. done that my whole life. My friends were always older than me. Um, and she was so helpful yeah. through the breakup, even though most of her advice I didn't want to hear or want to believe she was <laughs> telling me everything that I needed to hear. Um, and in any case, the MMA gym was in a gold's gym. So I was also starting to lift weights. Um, and oh, okay. I was like following bodybuilding.com workouts and kind of dabbling in fitness a little bit. And one of my parents at Cruddy told me about this gym that she was going to, and she asked me to take a class. So I went, it was kind of like CrossFit, but it was not called CrossFit. Um, and at the same time, you know, Instagram was getting popular with fitness. I started to follow different women in the fitness sort of industry who were proponents of strength yeah. and um, at the time, you know, oh, if it fits yeah. your macros was coming out. So people were talking about eating things like burgers and pizza and donuts, but still being really fit. And I had found a woman, Chrissy Cagney, who was incredibly inspiring to me, who was so strong and beautiful and creating her own company and talking about nutrition in a totally new way. Um, eating donut, her, her company at the time was called Donuts and Deadlifts. So it was oh, very wow. new to me. Um, and I was excited by it. And so Yes, I was learning, and kind of rewriting this idea you had yeah. around food and fitness and Entirely. a woman's body. Just a totally different story. Yes, around how to live. Yes, yes, yeah. Wow. Um, and I had started to learn also about the power of my mind and my mindset. And not only was I uprooting these stories, these old stories that I had about love, my family, my parents, 
I was no longer blaming them for everything. I was starting to take accountability for myself. Um, I was no longer a victim of them. I was starting to see them as humans who were, you know, navigating their own traumas and their own issues. I was finding acceptance and forgiveness. I was, um, you know, yes, unearthing my beliefs about fitness and nutrition that were so layered from, you know, family and society and all these messages we had received growing up. And I was starting to kind of debunk all of those myths about nutrition as I learned about the science of nutrition. Um, but I was also learning about the power of energy and my mind and how what I focus on is what I create. And I was starting to focus on visualization, visualization of what I wanted my body to look like. Um, and it was yeah. no longer this image of you know, thigh gap and skinny, it was strong and powerful. And I was imagining what my strong legs could look like as I was running up the hill in the morning. I'm waking up at 5am to go take this class that I'm so excited about and feeling so great. I don't want to be hung over anymore. So I'm, you know, I'm not drinking because yeah. I want to be a part of this community. Um, I, with the help of my therapist, who I mentioned before, realize, you know, because I'm feeling so good, my body's feeling like a temple. I'm feeling so powerful and like, oh, I don't want to put these, you know, chemicals in my body anymore. And so she helps yes. me over the course of a couple of years, get completely sober from pharmaceutical drugs, which was so, so hard. Um, the withdrawals were yes. awful. And I remember, yes. you know, and I, I would go, but I would relapse so many times because the withdrawals were just too uncomfortable for me. Brutal. Um, and then I finally had this yeah. moment where I realized, wait a minute, if this is what my body feels like coming off of these things, what is it doing to my body while I'm on them? Um, and that was it. And like, yes, that was the last drop. And so I really powered through that time and, um, I was supporting myself with other wow. natural supplements. I was changing my nutrition. As I said, I was going to yoga now to actually practice yoga um, I had started yoga when I was 15 before I could even drive. I was having my parents drop me at yoga, but it was for the yeah. yoga body, right? It wasn't to practice yoga in college. I would go to yoga twice a day before classes, after classes, because I was wow. escaping. I was running from everything that I was feeling and I was using it as a distraction. Um, mm. now fast forward, I was going to yoga and like, bawling my eyes out in pigeon pose, you know, like actually processing my trauma, actually processing my yeah. feelings, having an entirely yeah. new relationship to meditation and the practice. Um, yes. So all of these things are happening. And um, I should preface this by saying when I was 19 and started working for this karate company, there was an instructor there, a man who I, as you know, had a huge crush on. And I saw him, I thought he was just like the most beautiful man I had ever seen, was so smitten, um, had this feeling at 19, like, oh, we're soulmates. We're going to be together. We're supposed to be married. We're supposed to be together. How can he not see this? Um, I couldn't understand like how he didn't know <laughs> that this <laughs> Hello? Um, he had no idea that I, I mean, he barely knew I existed. He's 13 years older than me. So I'm 19. He's 32. I'm just a little girl who can cover his classes when he doesn't want to work. Um, and yeah, 
we and, were and we didn't interact very much. I mean, for no, those who don't really would know this, we didn't see each other that often in, unless we were teaching together, but we all had our own classes, our own schedules. And then having had been there a lot longer yeah. than, than definitely me. And then even more so you, Yeah, he'd probably seen so many people come in and out. <laughs> he was like, whatever. I'm just, he wasn't investing like, in. Or we would be like changing into our uniforms in the dressing room, not like naked for people listening. It was yeah, like, yeah. You'd just, have like your your leggings on or whatever, and you put the over, uniform on and yeah, over the layers. It. But we would like yeah. if we had classes at the same time and we were in the employee room at the same time, it was just us two. I would be like, oh my god, oh my god, Time. oh my god, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, right? But he had oh. no idea, no idea that I even oh. was on his radar. Um, I I'm, I'm gonna know, have to ask him about this. It, when I yeah. interview him. Yeah. <laughs> I was in I doubt that a little. Yeah. No, I don't know. I was, uh, um, no, I, I was in and out of my other relationship at that time. He was always in a relationship. So, and we, at that's that time, true. 32 true. and 19 is such a different, I yes, mean, that's, that's just not like kosher to be together. At that that's time. true. I was that's a child, true. right? So that's like Taylor Swift, John Mayer, well, um, that whole thing. <laughs> it happened. <laughs> that happened. Sorry. Not the first yeah. time in history, but yeah. But um, yeah, I do hear what you're, say- what you're saying too. A different mindset, different time, the, the context. But totally. yeah, to to see him and just to already have him on a pedestal. And we, I think- yep most at least most women that i've ever known have done that at some point where you just see someone you're like oh they're it for me they're perfect they are now the standard (laughs) yeah exactly it was my dream and i was so i was just so smitten um but like i said nothing ever happened i was always in a relationship he was always in a relationship the the age gap was too big um but now fast forward i'm like 23 ish 24 and, um, I'm, I've been doing this, you know, this lifting program, this class, and I'm healing my nutrition. I'm yeah, probably like 23 at this time. Um, and he suggests I do CrossFit. He's like, I think you'd really like it, Mari. Um, it sounds really similar to what you've been doing already, but I think you'd be really great at it. So I'm like, okay, I'll go. Right at this point, I'm like, I'll do anything. Just take me anywhere. (laughs) So I go to CrossFit. I have the courage to go. And it took me, you know, a little while to build up the courage to go to this new gym, new place, new people. Um, And I absolutely drink the Kool Aid. I mean, I had never felt this way before. I, my whole life growing up, I was told I wasn't coordinated, I wasn't athletic. I never played team sports because I was so afraid of failure. And for the first time I was realizing, wait a minute, I am Hmm. strong. I am really coordinated. I am really good at this. I am really powerful. Um, And I felt, and, and like I said, I, I was getting complete, I was completely sober at this point. So it was fulfilling this new medicine in me that I needed so badly that I didn't even know I needed. And it was also a community of other women. And I was seeing other women who looked yes. like me and thinking, oh my God, she's so beautiful. Wait a minute. I'm so beautiful. Yeah. So I'm yes. starting to be a mirror of myself in a new way. Like I said, I'm also you know, starting to be exposed to this kind of on social media. I am listening to podcasts. I'm reading. I'm really just diving in, in all, because it's a domino effect, right? Like, 
Like I said, totally. didn't want to be hungover anymore. So I stopped drinking. Body feels like a temple. Stop doing drugs. Learn about the science yeah. of nutrition because I want to fuel this new passion. Heal my yes. eating disorders. Listening to podcasts, reading books, healing my trauma, going into my mindset, journaling every day, learning about manifestation, writing out what I want my life to be. Um, I am going out in nature and hiking by myself. I'm taking myself out to lunch and dinner. I'm dating myself. And this is, you know, this goes on for about three years. So from wow. 21, 22 yeah. till 25, I go on one, I went on one date in three years. Wow. Okay, that was it. Like, and that was very purposeful. I was that kind of on accident because you were busy and focused on these other things or you were like friends anti -dating to get on a on, dating apps. We're just starting. Right. So this is like, I don't know, mm. 2011, 2012. Um, okay. yeah, 2012 is when I was 22. So, um, dating apps had just started and people were suggesting that. So I did it just for fun, just to kind of like, I was, I don't know, probably bored. And, um, and it was awful. It was so awkward. <laughs> I, it, it was terrible. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I've also met so many people who are married and happy and found someone yes. on dating apps. So I oh and, and they've also evolved. There are, there are better ones than others, better screening than others. But uh, yeah, I've heard some horror stories. Totally. <laughs> yes. I did not mean to put down dating apps. One of my best friends is happily married to the love of her life, met on dating app. My mom is married to the love of her life. My pa, who is a dream, yeah. and they met on Match.com. Um, so, yes, for me though, again, but it's still, it was not the right. It's a lot of work for me. It was I was not aligned, and actually, mm. I had become so comfortable in my life of like the, the discomfort that I had felt before with being alone was no longer there because I was so that is so huge falling in love with myself. That's and I so was starting huge. to realize, oh, wait a minute. That's so important. This is how you do self-love. All those times people said, oh, you know, just no one will love you till you love yourself, blah, blah, blah. I was realizing, oh, the quick fix that I was looking for doesn't exist. It's all of these steps that I'm doing. It's yes. the exercise, the nutrition, the therapy, journaling, the nature time, the spending quality time with myself, the visualization, the changing my mindset around things, all of these little steps, um, that was creating a relationship with myself, just like we create a relationship mm -hmm. with anyone else. And yeah. following through on these commitments to myself was creating trust with myself. Trust. I was rebuilding yes. trust with myself that I, I was somebody that I could rely on. And I was somebody that mm -hmm. I could go through hard times with. And speaking of that, CrossFit was showing me that I could get uncomfortable on purpose and get better, right? Yes. So every day that I was building that muscle, I was going through voluntary adversity, which means you're doing yes. hard things on purpose, right? So I was yes. realizing, oh, wait a minute, I'm, I'm doing it here at the gym. I can do that everywhere, right? Yes. <laughs> I'd always say that about boxing and MMA. Yes. That it, it more than self-defense, it taught me that I can get punched in the face numerous times and not go down. <laughs> I'm like, You're, it's going to take a lot to kill me. Yes. <laughs> it's going to take a lot to take me down. If it built anything, it's that internal knowing of I can handle more than 
not as maybe as much as I'd like to, but more than you think I can. (laughs) That that resilience, but that self-trust of it can be really excruciatingly painful. It can be really hard. It can be really uncomfortable. It can be really embarrassing and humiliating. And and I'll be able to tolerate it and it won't be that way forever. I won't feel that forever. And that knowing changes all of your, your decision making. Life. Because it changes life every decision hard. you make. Yes. yes. And life is going to be uncomfortable. There are going to be uncomfortable yeah. moments every single day for the rest of your life. Small, big. So yeah. learning how to live life on life's terms, learning how to be comfortable in the uncomfortable that was a huge turning point for me because like I said, my whole life I had numbed, escaped. I was a professional escape artist from pain. I knew yeah. how to not be uncomfortable, right? Temporary, yeah. immediate gratification. None of those things worked because the discomfort always returned greater. Exactly, exa- you know, with an exclamation point on it because yeah. I had those layers of eating disorder, alcohol, substance, codependency, perfectionism, performance, all of those things made it so much more. But now I wasn't clinging or reaching for those coping mechanisms. I was learning how to be with myself. Um, I had permanently- peace. What's that? Like there's some peace that you you kind of discovered in these moments of joy. There are a few things that you said that really stand out to me. One is- this seeking of experiences that aren't just for the purpose of giving you relief anymore, but also joy. Mm-hmm. That there is an element of now you're actually listening to what you're desiring mm-hmm. um, and and not running from something, but actually running towards something. Mm-hmm. So when it, I mean, even in the context of us talking about relationships and dating and meeting people, that when you love CrossFit, you're going to need something that, that pulls you more than what you get from a CrossFit session to be able to cancel that, to go on a date that there, when you're enjoying your life, not just yourself and you're able to sit with yourself and be at peace with yourself and enjoy yourself and time alone, but also enjoying the things you're engaged in that you're not willing to settle for the crap anymore. You're not willing to. Yeah. yeah. And, and sometimes when it does come back, you're like, Oh, you you really feel that disparity where before you didn't know what it feels like to, mm-hmm. to feel good or feel this at peace. So then yeah. when there's that disruption, you're like, oh, that's, yeah. Oh yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> that doesn't yeah. it's incongruent with this new right. version of yourself. Yeah. And it's in- interesting that you, that's a great perspective because, you know, when I had, when I had started this sort of self-love journey, like I said, it was fueled by the desire for relationship, right? Like I was willing to do anything that I possibly could to find love. And as a happy accident, I found joy in falling in love with myself, essentially, and finding the things that brought me joy because I didn't even know anymore, right? At that point. I mean, I had, I was so far away from myself. Um, and as a result, so far away from others, because you can't be close to others if you're not close to yourself. So I was figure, you know, the I was big one. finding these things. And as a result, I was actually creating friendships that were meaningful and um, doing things that were so meaningful to me that that uh, urgency, like that frenetic 
I have to be in a relationship or I'm going to die feeling that yes. was no longer there. And I remember seeing this quote early on um, in this process, you know, whether you want to call it recovery or journey or whatever this, you know, the, the beginning of this process for me. And the quote was the secret to change is not on fighting the old, but on building the new. And I didn't mm -hmm. really realize what that was until I was sort of on the other side of it where I realized, oh, because I was focusing on all these things that I did want, you know, I had tried to quit drugs, alcohol, and my eating disorders for 10 years up until that point. And the quitting, the fighting was only making those things stronger, right? Whatever yes. we resist persists. So the more yes. I tried to quit, the more I was putting energy into those things that I was trying to quit, right? Even, even through the breakup, even when I was trying to quote, quit codependency, right? I was just yes. fueling that because I was putting attention on it. But when so I so much attention, attention. I'm so glad you're saying this. Well, thank you. It's so big, Mari. Yes. When I yes. started to put the attention on what I was creating, all of those things just yeah. organically and easily, by the way, fell away. Like, themselves. I didn't even have to try. This was yes. all, you know, and it's, it, you look at those 10 years of my life where I was just fighting and fighting and fighting. It was like, I was constantly in battle with myself and life. Life was so hard. When I shifted the attention, all of that easily. I mean, it was like that. It, it didn't like, need to be there. It didn't, it didn't no serve a purpose. It. it served a purpose. There's no, it room. didn't serve a purpose anymore. You didn't need it. Exactly. Yes, exactly. So, so and it, listen, it's not that I, sometimes I, I thought, well, one day I'm just not going to have an eating disorder voice. You know, if, if you have an eating disorder or you've had an eating disorder and you're listening, you know what voice I'm talking about. Right. Yes. So I thought, oh, well, maybe one day it just goes away. And I kept, I kept trying to fight that voice. Right. But when I realized that actually that part of you, it's going to stay with you forever, but you just don't have to forever. react to it and you just don't have yes. to give it so much power. That's when yes. that voice started to get really quiet. And now I just notice her. I, I just see her. Oh, that's it. I hear you. Hey, hey, hi, hi girl. Okay, what? I'm here for you. And what's going on? Yeah, that's, yep. I always say it's like a different, it's like a board member. <laughs> yep. You know, you don't give them the whole floor. They get to say a few things. Yep. <laughs> and then they've got to sit down. But ultimately, you're making a collective decision. But when they do speak, you know what the problem is now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not the eating disorder. The eating disorder was never the problem. No. Mm -mm. And so that now you know what the problem is and, and how to take care of her. So I could yeah. apply that to every challenge that I had faced, whether it was yes. alcohol and drugs, eating disorder or relationships. Right. And so now it's not, it, you know, like I said, that urgency had gone away. Right. Like I didn't need to be in a relationship anymore. It wasn't survival yeah. for me anymore. Um, yeah. there was still like, of course, a desire for that, but there was a trust. It, interestingly, when I got, had gone through that breakup, I had permanently doodled trust to my, oh, wow. um, because as yes. I, said, I was learning, He's showing us a tattoo, by the way, I have to tell the audience who's going to be listening to the podcast and doesn't get to see any of the video clips. Yeah. yeah that you so I had, I had doodled that because like I said, I was very much, um, subscribing to this idea of, you know, trusting the process and a higher power mm -hmm. and being supported and guided and learning about the universe and energy 
how all of that works. And, um, and so that's why I, I had doodled that word permanently on my arm. Um, and then a couple years into this, as we are now in the timeline, I'm realizing, oh, but it's also about trusting myself. It's about mm-hmm. trusting that I can be there for myself and that in, in that process, um, something was unfolding during all of this mm. and I'm just checking the time. <laughs> um, We're doing okay. okay. We've got about <laughs> no minutes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, in that process, I was inspired to start my own school, karate school. I had realized, wow. hey, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a doctor. I'm a teacher. I'm, I want to have yeah, you having these relationships <laughs> with families. And like I said, I'm staying until seven or eight o'clock at night sometimes having these basically family therapy sessions. Um, but I'm also like going to kids' soccer games and they're bringing me Christmas cards and I'm learning about their lives. And I'm realizing I'm just not going to have these types of relationships with them if I'm the person sitting across the couch from them that they're sort of forced to come see, right? That they're not, there's, there's not a lot of children to say, I want to go to therapy, right? Yeah. Where you want that more integrative approach. You want that more whole person, you you know, relationship being able to just hug them and tell them I love them. And like, I, I, I realize that that's who, and you know me, so you could probably vouch for this. You know that oh, that's she is. who I am, right? And I'm starting to learn yes. that that's who I am. And that was so huge because it was so scary. It meant I had to let go of what I thought success was and what I believed up until that point, um, you know, who I was basically, right? That like, yeah. that was so deeply embedded in my identity was that idea of success and the life path mm-hmm that I had set out for myself from a very young age to help people. So I'm realizing that, you know, I want to share, um, I want, I want to create something of my own. And at the same time, um, Josh, who is the man that I was talking about before, who I had this huge crush on when I was 19. And, you know, we um, had at this point started working together more again. And I was like 23 or 24 at this time. Um, so I'm, you know, a few years into this recovery and self-love journey and we became really good friends, best, best friends. And we started talking about how great it would be to start a school together. And so we were spending a lot more time together, kind of working on this school, building our ideas, building the curriculum, the branding. Um, we're, you know, we're working together pretty often at this point and, I'm starting to feel like, oh, and, you know, like I'm watching his kitties when he goes on trips with his wife. He's married, by the way. And um, we're we're really building this really strong friendship. Um, we're both going through our own individual struggles at this point, although my struggles are very different now. Like I break my foot. So now I'm, oh, my gosh, you can't do CrossFit. And I'm struggling with this like athlete thing. And so, you know, so I'm struggling with things like that now, as opposed to full on trauma and, you know, eating disorders and substance abuse. I have challenges that are a little more manageable, Um, but he's also going through his own challenges in his marriage at this time. And um, we build a very, really 
beautiful friendship. And I had never really had a, a best friend like this. Um, yes. And it was wonderful. And a male best friend. I'm hearing yeah. just such a difference in this relationship yeah. versus this dynamic you had with men prior and this idea totally. you had around how you relate to men that you two can have this kind of friendship and professional relationship totally. where there's a lot of respect and a lot of mutuality there without any of the games or some yep. of that stuff that needs to be there. Yeah, that's huge. Exactly. And I felt so yeah. seen. I felt so seen by him and so heard. And, mm. you know, we were learning in our own ways how to open up to each other. And um, so that, of course, though, like that 19 year old crush was still sort of there. And um, yeah. I was starting to feel things and I would go into my car, you know, after work, or whatever. And I would just kind of hold the steering wheel and like not slam my head against the steering wheel, but I would just like get so frustrated with myself holding the steering wheel. Like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, no, yeah. this is not real. Mari. Get this out of your head. Nothing is happening here. What you're feeling is not real. You only have love for him, like a friend, like a brother. I mean, at this point, we're telling each other we love each other, but like as a brother and sister would, you know, like, okay, love you, like a friend. Um, right. But I am feeling these things and I'm feeling this connection and I'm like, this is insane. He's married. What are you, what are you thinking? Like, there's, n first of all, Mari, there's no way that he feels the same way. Um, mm. and you're crazy. Get this out of your mind. Nothing's going to happen. And so I went on like that for months and maybe a year. That's and its own torture. Oh, That's it its was, own torture. Yeah, it was pretty awful. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. we have this like insane cosmic connection happening. Like, I'm not joking you when I say we are setting off car alarms and electrical I believe like, it. things are happening where the lights would go off or the lights would flicker. Um, there was like all kinds of energetic things happening around us. Um, yeah, I would set my whole my, world is like, Help! oh my gosh. Yeah. Both of you. <laughs> and, and I would tell my friends at the time, you know, like things he would say or do. And they were like, he is in love with you. And I was like, don't tell me that. <laughs> You're crazy. I can't handle this. Don't talk to me about it. So, um, it was really, really tough for those, those several months. And then, um, but like I said, I, I, when I was 19, I had this sort of premonition or this feeling in my bones, like, yeah, this is the person for me. This is, he's it. Um, and I had silenced that because it didn't make any sense to me. First of all, I want to get into, if we can do a part three at some point, Mari, uh, I want to get into a little more about what your relationships were like with other people during this growing yeah. um, the growth portion of your life. Because what happens that I think many of you who've been on similar journeys um, or even have made little shifts in your life, you start to realize that there's this domino effect, this trickle down effect in your other relationships, including with your family members. But to talk a little bit about the relationships with other people, how they related to you and how you shifted in those. Um, so I definitely want to get into that. And then obviously dive into this relationship that you began to develop with Josh and how it was different than some of the earlier expectations and some of the earlier dynamics that were happening. Um, 
And as you and I both know, uh, the work isn't done once you enter the relationship. It is in the beginning mm -hmm. <laughs> because you're both coming in with your stuff. So I imagine there's a lot that we can cover around that. Listeners, I also have some exciting news. I am going to be able to bring on her now partner, Josh. Um, I'm so excited for you all to hear Josh's side of the story and, and really his journey and how it mirrored in its own way yours. Yeah. And um, so we'll we'll be having him on uh, for a couple of episodes in the next couple of weeks too. But uh, let's go ahead and, and call it for today. Um, First of all, real quick, how can listeners find you, Mari? Oh, yeah. And the Girls Empowerment Experience. Thank you. If anybody, like I said last time, if anybody wants to talk, if you need help, if you, if any part of this resonates for you, you know, I never want to say that I have all of the answers or that, you know, you should do it my way. That's, that's definitely not my belief. Um, I think that you have all of the answers inside of you and I can help you find those answers for yourself. Um, and also you can take, you know, what has worked for me. And if it does resonate for you, then awesome. Take it and put it in your toolkit and, you know, build your own self-love recipe, your own self-love journey step-by-step. Step. But in any case, if you just need somebody to talk to, if you need somebody to listen, if you have questions or you want to know more, um, you can find me. I hang out a lot on Instagram at, at Mari Helena or at Girls Empowerment Experience. Um, or you can go to girlsempowermentexperience.com and find me there. I know a number of our, our listeners do have girls and, uh, and teen daughters. And this is, I mean, it's an amazing program. If you get a chance to check it out, it is, I am definitely going to be putting my, my girls in it for sure. Thank so, you so much. yeah. And um, it was so good connecting with you all as well in the audience. Follow me at Lift Therapy. And I look forward to talking to you all next time. Thank, Thank you, Mari. Thank you so much. Bye. I hope that episode was helpful. Hey, listen, if you want to share your singlehood journey, if you've gone somewhere, come back. If you have revelations and wisdom, please share your story. It's going to help other people. Nothing makes us feel more connected than hearing other people's stories. So just send me the audio of your story and you could just record it directly from your phone and email it to theangrytherapist at gmail.com. Also, if you want our Single on Purpose newsletter, go to singleonpurpose.life. That's singleonpurpose.life. You will get tools and articles and other people's stories, and also uh, Zoom links to private gathers. So if you want to join our community, go to singleonpurpose.life. Thank you for listening. Be well. We hope you tell a friend. Hey, before you go, I want to invite you to the Single on Purpose private community online. It's off of social media. No ads, no algorithms. We got forums. We got live groups. We got webinars, and we have social hangs. We also have offline in-person hangs happening soon so check us out go to singleonpurpose.life that's singleonpurpose.life and i will see you inside